0: reading for today is from James chapter 5 verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Thanks
1: be to God. Please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. As you'll note, there's two Gospel readings today. It's kind of unusual, but there's two readings because uh, this discipleship series we're going through calls for us to read from Luke chapter 9, and then the Sunday for today calls, the, if we're following the Pricope series, calls for Mark 9, and I thought both were appropriate for this Sunday's message. So, looking at Luke 9, verses 1 through 6. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he set them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And Jesus said to them, "'Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart.' And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed, and they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And the second reading, the Holy Gospel reading, is according to St. Mark, the ninth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. And Jesus said, or John said to Jesus, Than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves. And be at peace with one another. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message as we continue our discipleship series entitled, We Are Teammates on God's Winning Team, is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-3a, through 3A, the first part of the third verse. These words are printed for you in your bulletin. But St. Paul writes to his teammates in Corinth these words. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh." This is our text. In the name of Jesus Christ, your fellow teammates on God's team, do you sense St. Paul's frustration with his teammates in Corinth? Many of them are not committed to God's winning team. As someone observed, it's hard to win if the players' hearts and minds are not in the game. And certainly, Paul's teammates' heads and hearts do not appear to be in the game of salvation, at least not to the level that St. Paul expected. They're not dedicated to playing their positions. They're satisfied with mediocrity when it comes to understanding the game of salvation. They're lackadaisical, in their commitment to their spiritual conditioning, and developing their skills to play the game of salvation at a higher level. The writer to the Hebrews bemoans the same thing about his teammates. He writes, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by the time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic teachings of the oracles of God. You need milk not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. St. Paul and the writer to the Hebrews is bewildered. They're bewildered. They're bewildered by the indifference and the apathy Displayed by so many of their teammates. Their opponents have lulled them into a state of complacency. The temptations of the world are distracting them from the task at hand, and their own flesh is a weakness that keeps them from keeping their head in the game. And it's not like Paul's teammates are playing for a crown made of wreaths that will wither and die, it's not like they're playing for a cup that will rust. No, they are playing a game of life and death, of eternal life and eternal death for themselves and for others. I mean, what did we hear in the words of St. James this morning when he said in the Epistle lesson, My friends, if any followers have wandered away from the truth, you should try to lead them back. For if you turn sinners from the wrong way, you will save them from death. And their sins will be forgiven. And so we are teammates on God's winning team. And as teammates on God's winning team, we're students of the game. It is often said, she or he is a student of the game. A student of the game is a a team player who strives to get better. A student of the game is a player who understands the benefits of instruction and correction under the discerning eye of their coach. A student of the game is a player who loves to watch and to listen to and to learn from veteran teammates. A student of the game is someone who plays with heart and a lot less ego. A student of the game is a player who revels in daily practice Who studies the complexities and the nuances of the game, spending hours watching tape after tape after tape of how they play and how the opposition plays? A student of the game is a player who relishes examining the strategies of the opponent for the purpose of then developing tactics to go on the offense. Students of the game understand the significance of their commitment to excellence. Their ability to effectively execute the coach's game plan, and their capacity to espouse enthusiasm in others. For students of the game know that it's these things that lead to victory. Well, people on God's team are to be students of the game, the game of salvation. I mean, let's look at the team that Jesus formed. His team included some fishermen, a tax man, a bookkeeper, a a political operative, and many others. And by the standards of the day, they weren't much of a team. How would they be able to win anything for Jesus? But you know what they were? They were students of the game. They wanted to be the best teammates that they could be. They wanted to improve their understanding and their skills of the game. And so they studied the word of God. They listened to the teaching of their manager coach, Jesus Christ, as he taught them about the strategies of the opponent and how they could counteract those things. He warned them about their own shortcomings and encouraged them to strive to be better in him. And then they put into practice what their player coach Jesus was teaching them. And real life experience was crucial to their development as team players. And so when Jesus sent them out two by two, they went eagerly to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. And they went with Christ's authority, with the power of God's living word and gifted by the Holy Spirit. And they experienced many wins. In fact, one chapter later in the Gospel of St. Luke, When the 72 teammates return from their assignment, they are thrilled. And they exclaim to Jesus, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Well, nothing less is expected of God's team today, of us. We are to be students, students of the game of salvation. And we're driven to be better for the sake of the Lord and his team. We are students of God's word. As the psalmist says, we delight in the law of the Lord and on his word we meditate day and night. We as students of the game, of the game of salvation, improve our knowledge of God's word. We appreciate the instruction and the correction of our player coach that he gives us. We love to sit at the feet of Hall of Famers that we meet in the, in the Bible and, our, and in our present lives to just simply to listen to them and to learn from them, to hear of the fascinating, thrilling victories that the Lord has granted to them over their lifetime. And as students of the game, we study the tactics of the opposition of the devil himself, uncovering their strengths and vulnerabilities so that we can develop a plan to counteract them. So then we can go on the offensive. You see, as students of the game, we're reminded that God pulls out the victories from the jaws of defeat, just like He did at the Red Sea. Our Lord is one who takes a good licking like He did at Golgotha, but He gets up off the canvas and lands the knockout punch to the devil. He is the God of miraculous comebacks as evidenced by his resurrection from the dead. He is the God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances as he patiently and lovingly coaches and forgives and restores his error-prone players. And yes, as students of the game of salvation, the Lord God assures us, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, and He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. So, teammates on God's winning team are students of the game, but they're also gym rats. You know, gym rats love to hang out in the gym, they recognize the value of sweat equity when it comes to being the very best player that they can be. You know, very rarely does a a team win a championship if the players on the team are not willing to invest their effort in the gym, into practicing, to improving their skills. A gym rat spends every available second that they can honing their skills. There's no place they'd rather be than in the gym. Jim gym rat knows what it takes to win. Complete dedication. They're all in. Jesus speaks about this high level of commitment of his team. When he says, as he does in our gospel lesson, or one of our gospel lessons from Mark 9, and if your hand causes you to sin, what are you to do? Cut it off. If it's, be, it's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and to go to hell to that unquenchable fire. If your foot caused you to sin, what do you do? Cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into the fire. If your eye caused you to sin, what do you do? Pluck it out. For it's better for you to, it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and to be thrown into hell. You see, we are all to be... All in to be completely dedicated to the game of salvation. Teammates on God's winning team aspire to be gym rats. Larry Bird, regarded as one of the best basketball players of all time, said A winner is one who recognizes his God given talents, works his tail off to develop them into skills, and uses these skills to accomplish his goals. And certainly, our Lord expects us to hone our skills, to enhance our spiritual conditioning through regular worship, through devotional reading, through Bible study, to practice our praying and to prepare ourselves for witnessing so that we're ever ready to give an account of the hope that we have in Christ. No doubt many of you have been on teams over the years like I have, What happens to the player who skips practice frequently? Or the player who doesn't practice between games? Or who fails to implement the coach's game plan? Well, their skills don't improve. In fact, they might even find that their skills recede over time with the result that they're often cut from the team. Well, that's also true for players on God's team. Thankfully, our player coach, Jesus Christ, is far more forgiving than any other coach. He's patient. He's patient with his players. But he continues to exhort and he continues to encourage. He continues to forgive he continues to restore, and he continues to send us back into the game into the game of salvation, just like he did with St. Peter. So teammates on God's winning team are students of the game. They're also gym Rats. But teammates on God's winning team are also team players. Emphasis on the word team. They're unwaveringly committed to the team, to God's team. They realize how honored they are to have put on the baptismal jer- jersey that identifies them as one of the baptized, as a member of Team God. With pride, they look around the dressing room and they see the other teammates that the Lord has chosen for their team and they believe in their teammates precisely because they know that the Lord has chosen their teammates. And they want to see their teammates succeed in the game of salvation. And so teammates on God's winning team support and encourage one another. This is borne out in the New Testament by the fact that there are some, or at least 59 one-anothers in the New Testament. What do I mean by that? Well, listen to this. This, These words that I'm going to share with you are numerous Bible passages that speak about how teammates on God's team care or are concerned for one another. Just listen. Jesus says, be at peace with one another. Jesus says, wash one another's feet. Jesus says, love one another just as I've loved you. Paul writes, outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Let us not pass judgment on one another. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Instruct one another. Have the same care for one another. Through love, serve one another. Bear one another's burdens with all humility and gentleness and patience, bear with one another in love. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted toward one another, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Encourage one another with these words. Build one another up, just as you're doing. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Stir up one another to love and good works. Do not speak evil against one another. Do not grumble against one another but confess your sins to one another and pray for one another and show hospitality to one another. Those are just some of the verses that speak about how teammates care for one another. And so as teammates on God's winning team, we are students of the game of salvation, we're gym rats as we sharpen and improve in our skills, and we support and encourage one another as we play the game of salvation. But the game of salvation isn't played here in the walls of the church. The game of salvation is not played here as we worship, as we study the Bible, as we gather together as different groups, no, I like to think of what goes on here in the walls of this church building as something like that goes on in the dressing room. You go into the dressing room to what? To get rest, to be restored, to be refreshed, to be encouraged, to go out and play the game. No, you see, most of the game of salvation is played outside the walls of this sanctuary. In your homes, in the workplace, in your neighborhoods, in your schools. And as we go and play that game of salvation, we go and we love and we serve our neighbor in the name of Jesus. And we go and we tell of a Savior who loves them so much that he died for them. Even as he died for us and rose from the dead. And as we go and we play this game of salvation, we bring hope to a world who so desperately needs the hope that God alone can give. And so, let's get out there. Let's get out there and give it everything we've got, our very best for the Lord. our team as we play the game of salvation. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all our understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.